You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. On today's episode, we're joined by Robert Plotkin. He's the founder of Technology for Mindfulness. But before I tell you about Robert, I want you to hear this crazy stat. Did you know that the average person touches their phone 2,600 times every single day? I mean, really think about that. How frequently does your hand just automatically go into your pocket to grab your phone? How frequently do you open and unlock and your screen and then just like almost on autopilot open apps for whatever social media twitter instagram facebook what is it what's what apps do you use the most what robert is doing at technology for mindfulness is empowering people to take control over the way that they use technology it's changed the last 10 or 20 years with the emergence of smartphones and social media we basically don't have the skills none of us have the skills to really have control over the way that we use our phone. On today's episode, we cover techniques on how you can fundamentally change the way that you use your phone to optimize it. So not control and dictate your life for you, but to actually perform at a higher level. Talking about tracking and setting limits on your app use. We talk about bringing back features of older technology and using those for the current day so that we can be more productive. Uh, How to use technology effectively. Optimal email use tricks, time blocking, responding to emails in a non-chronological order and batching them by time or categories. Uh, We also talk about how to manage or think about your own social media use. And he walks us through an exercise that you can do while you listen to this that will kind of open your eyes to some of the techniques that you can use to change your behavior around how you use your phone. Uh, We talk about some of the damage of social media and how you can prepare yourself before opening Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat so that you're not jumping into social media and just being bombarded uh, with negativity and that puts you in a funk. We really specifically target texting, email, and social media in this podcast and give you a ton of ideas on how you can be better with your technology. As always, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can always check out my stuff at seanmccormick.com, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K.com. I'm real Sean McCormick on Instagram. You can go to the Optimal Performance Podcast on Instagram, uh, where I show some behind-the-scenes stuff and do some more posting from guests. Um, And always, as always, please, if you have just like 20 seconds to jump onto iTunes and submit a five-star review, it helps helps the podcast immensely. And if you are one of the thousands and thousands of people that listens to this podcast every single week, if you could just do, if you get a lot of value out of this podcast and you appreciate what Ryan did and if you appreciate what I'm doing week in and week out, please just give us a quick review. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Robert Plotkin. Thank you.
You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Robert Plotkin, the founder of Technology for Mindfulness. Robert, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Oh, thanks, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. So given the content of our conversation, I'd love to know what sort of filters you've put in place for this call. Do you have your phone in airplane mode, locked in a safe, buried in the cellar somewhere? Or <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you prepare for a conversation like this to be mindful in this conversation with all the other devices around you? Yeah. So I've got do not disturb on my phone. And in addition, I have it on vibrate. The reason is that do not disturb lets my VIPs, you know, come through uh, people who uh, are on my favorites list. So if one of them does call me or text me, I want it to only vibrate and not beep. Uh, And then I've got another computer in the same room as me that is asleep. Uh, completely asleep. I don't necessarily trust uh, Do Not Disturb on all my devices. And I'm talking to you now on a laptop where the kind of simple thing I did was just quit out of all other apps. <laughs> Got it. So so Skype is literally the only app running on your computer right now? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. No, it's a good question. It is ridiculously difficult to do what you just said because it sounds like it should be so simple. To just silence all of your devices, there should be a single button which would do it yeah. automatically, and yet we're not really close to being there with today's technology. Well, what, it, who? nobody's incentivized to do that. Nobody's going to make, well, I don't know, maybe there's an argument. Maybe you uh, get your thoughts on that. Is there an argument to be made for someone to pitch an idea like a, like a, like a device kill switch? Uh, is that as a marketable product, you think? Yeah, I think that there are really strong uh, incentives on both sides and different companies, even different industries have very strongly competing interests in this way. So I think the tech companies that make our devices and operating systems, Apple, Google, Microsoft, to a certain extent, social media companies like Facebook, book, they have a strong incentive to keep the notifications up and running and to make them hard to turn off. But I know they've gotten a lot of pushback from corporate America, uh, you know, who wants their employees to be productive and not be on social media all day or interrupted. And there are, of course, even competing interests within these companies. You have Google, you know, who who wants to, they, they, they're proud of hiring the smartest, best, most creative, productive people, trying to encourage a culture of creativity. And they know that, that, that having their own employees be constantly distracted all day is counter to that goal. You know, so there's a bit of schizophrenia within the companies themselves. But the efforts we've seen, even within the last year at uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and what they're calling their digital health initiatives, which have, you know, they're pretty broad ranging, but they include a lot of extensions to do not disturb. They include things like screen time on Apple, which both lets you track how much time you're using in different apps and a little bit less well known lets you set limits 
uh, on how much time you spend in different apps or different categories of apps. So they, there has been pushback. Uh, not, I think a lot from corporate America, also from elsewhere, just from consumers generally, uh, a lot from parents and schools because of the issue of safety. You know, this is not just an issue of productivity. Uh, we don't want anyone, uh, teenagers or otherwise driving in a car and texting or being on social media. Uh, I remember in Boston, uh, where, where I live, uh, must have been ten, good 10 years ago, there was a, we call the subway the T here, but there was a subway crash. I don't think anyone was killed, but there were some injuries and it was investigated. T driver was texting with his girlfriend. You know, uh, there's a lot of safety issues that arise out of this. So there, there are very strongly competing interests. And I, I'm really excited about the prospects for entrepreneurs and innovative companies to seek out the business opportunities for making technology less distractive and, and more conducive to focus. For a long time, I remember people saying, Robert, you know what? I think what you're promoting as a concept is great, but you're up against the fundamental business model of the internet, which is right. to distract everyone and right. grab your attention constantly. And you know, I remember saying, well, that may be true, but there, there are ways to make a profit from developing technology that counteracts that. And you know, in recent years, we've, we've just started to see what I think and hope is the tip of the iceberg there. Yeah, there's a long way to go, and we're still babies in all of this. You know, uh, it, there's a, there's so many different ways to look at solutions to this overconsumption. But I, we hit the ground running, and I like to do that in podcasts to like hook people <laughs> in to get them in. Like they're now up to speed is what we're going to talk about. But I want to go back if we can, and if you could please just sort of give us shortly your what you do, how you do it, and how you have become an expert in a mindful way of using technology. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, part of my background is in high tech and uh, computer science. I've been programming since I was a kid. First computer I used was actually a TRS-80, if that rings a bell for anybody, <laughs> which stood for Tandy Radio Shack. Radio Shack is gone now, pretty much. Uh, and then an Atari 800 at home. So I've been programming forever. I, then I went on to MIT, studied computer science there. And then I went to law school and became a patent attorney. And I've been specializing in software and other computer-related patents ever since. So I've just live and breathe uh, high tech. And uh, it's because of that love for an, an immersion in technology that in the last five years, 10 years, even 20 years, I've I found myself struggling as the technology became more and more distracting. It's hard for people to remember, and maybe many people didn't even use technology back in the day when it was what I'd call a focus-enhancing tool. Uh, think, imagine if your computer had no internet connection uh, which they didn't back in the day. If you could only run one piece of software on at a, at a time, there were no notifications, there was no social media. I remember sitting down and writing, you know, for hours at a time and finding, well, this could really help me get into a state of flow. And as I found that chipped away at over the years, I've become more and more motivated to try to bring back, in a way, some of the older features 
of, of the old technology and combine it with the new to get the best of both worlds. Because I wouldn't give up high internet, you know, for anything. I wouldn't give up the ability to talk to you uh, on video like we're doing right now uh, across the country or across the world. I wouldn't want to give up all of the, the newer benefits, but I'd like to merge them uh, with the older focus enhancing qualities. So that's part of where I'm coming from. Give, give us an example. And, give, yeah. give us an example of what, of, of what you mean there. So do not disturb is one. Another is there are some really simple ones, just like using your apps in full screen mode, you know, is a little bit like simulating an old computer that didn't have any multiple windows on it. You know, so, so easy to do uh, on um, the on Mac you can hide all other windows except the one you're working on. I think it's Apple Control H. A lot of people don't know in Windows, you take the top of the window and just shake it back and forth and it'll hide everything else except the window that you're, you're looking at right now. Huh. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do like that which make your computer act a bit like an older computer even though you've still got a new a new one. Uh, you know, another thing you can do is, and I don't necessarily advocate that you buy a ton of different devices, but many of us have a, quite a few already. I've got one of the black and white Kindles, you know, for reading eBooks. I really like that. It kind of forces me to stay focused on one thing at a time. It's black and white. It's not visually stimulating because it doesn't have color. And if I do get that temptation to switch to something else, it's hard to do. And the worst, I, the most I can do is switch to reading another book. <laughs> you yeah. know, I can't check check messages or do play a game or do anything else on it. Uh, so using what's called a single purpose device like that yeah. uh, is another way of recapturing, I think, some of the the benefits of older technology. And you know what? I actually take out a pen and paper sometimes to write ideas. What? What? I don't. <laughs> yes. How dare you? We got to end this up. We're 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 all done here. <laughs> yeah. I I you know. Well, isn't there research that supports that actually writing out your ideas allows some some sort of enhanced cognition or recall around that thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And I think it's something, you know, it's different for different people. I'd say try it out. Personally, I do find that tactile feeling of the pen and the paper does something to keep me grounded or or more uh, have my attention focused more singularly on what I'm writing than at the keyboard. Uh, also, uh, this has been studied pretty widely that because you can edit things on a word processor or in an email message so easily, you can delete and insert things. We tend to be drawn to editing and revising what we're writing instead of actually getting our ideas out from our minds onto the screen. We can we format, right? You put things in bold or change the font or make things look pretty and insert graphics. There's a place for that, but you know. When I use pen and paper is when I'm in brainstorming mode or idea dump mode. If I've got some big new idea and I just want to get it out, I often use pen and paper for that. So, you know, there's a mixture of different types of technologies that I found work for me depending on what I want to accomplish, what kind of task I'm doing, what kind of uh, 
um, mood I'm in, really. And I always suggest to people that they experiment and try things out. It's not necessarily either or. You know, there's a lot of ways in which you can mix and match. I like using the analogy just, you know, to uh, to biological evolution, right? We've got we've got species on this planet that have been around for 200 million years and for a couple of thousand years. Uh, when it, when a new species comes along, it doesn't necessarily displace what came before. There's a lot of room for for different species to fit together in the same ecosystem, same thing with technology. I think there's something about our culture and certainly about the way technologies are marketed that convinces us that when something new comes along, you have to adopt it and get rid of everything that came before it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Companies that are selling us technology have a big incentive for, for us to believe that. Yeah. But we don't have to. We don't have to buy into that. Right. What are, are, is everybody, is everybody misusing technology? <laughs> I would say, I know I do. Everyone I've ever met is misusing it. I mean, when I, when I say misusing it, what do I mean? And I'll just, I'll apply it to myself. What I mean is using it in ways that aren't in line with even what my own intentions are. And how do I know that that's true? I know because very often after the fact, after using technology for an hour or a day, I look back and I say, you know, I could have been making better use, better use of my time. I could have been doing something differently. You know, a very common one for me, and I know for many people, uh, is that I go to use technology. I sit down, let's say email. I go to write an email. And that is what I intend to do. It's what I want to do. I decide it's a good use of my time, and it actually is a good use of my time. But then I write that email and then I see the rest of my inbox and I start responding. Uh, and I do that even though it's not what I plan to do. It may not be the best use of my time at that moment. And I get sucked in. Uh, technology has a really strong way of pulling us in to doing more of what we intended to do. And as we know with food, you know, or any other activity, too much of a good thing sometimes can no longer be a good thing. Uh, and that's a hard one to break out of because very often what we start out intending to do is exactly what we want to do and maybe perfectly fine to do. It's a matter of learning new habits for being able to strike a balance and kind of recalibrate how you're using technology throughout your day. In, in spite of its extremely strong pull to keep us hooked in. So given the fact that this is the Optimal Performance Podcast and the people that listen to this are hard workers, they're, they're biohackers, they, they want to work smart, every, every one of them. They wanna take the right supplements, they want, they want techniques, they want approaches that will help them be the most effective with the least amount of work, the minimum effective dose. What are some things like let's let let's just unpack this um, use by use. What yes. are some other ways that people can uh, employ new behaviors or new strategies around email alone that will help them be more mindful and and thus perform at a higher level? Yeah, and, and I love the name Optimal Performance because I'm also an engineer, so I know Optimal 
right? Doesn't necessarily mean minimal or maximal, <laughs> right? It means something else in between, not necessarily halfway, you know, it could be somewhere else. Uh, we don't know that stress, there's an optimal level of stress. Sometimes people talk about minimizing or eliminating stress. Well, you know what, when you have no stress, you might just fall asleep. <laughs> That's not, if you're in a competitive sport and you're not feeling any stress at all, you're, you might actually underperform. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, people have studied this pretty, pretty widely. There's an optimal, too much stress and you might, you freeze. You know, you're, you're so dominated by fear or, or something. And too little stress, you're not motivated and energized enough. So it's the same thing with, with email. There is an optimal level. I'll, I'll share a couple, and I could probably spend all day talking about uh, email. I know a lot of people have moved on from email to Slack and other kinds of messaging systems. But I'll tell you, no matter, there's no silver bullet. I don't care what message system you're using. Come on, it's Trello. I know it's Trello. <laughs> you know, none of them is a cure. Uh, it, it, they, all, they all have very similar problems uh, that you need to address no matter what their benefits are. So email. One is scheduling time to use email. Okay, and I'm, I hear the objections already <laughs> to do this. So, and I'm a lawyer, I'm prepared for the objections, but let me just give you the, the benefits of it first, and then, then I'll address some of the objections to it. Uh, simplest thing, lowest hanging fruit, biggest bang for your buck, is just to put appointments in your calendar for when you're gonna check email, okay? Might be two, three, four times a day, half an hour at a time, talk about optimal, okay? Five minutes, if you're a person who's constantly getting emails, is not gonna be enough. Probably two hours at a time, three times a day, defeats the purpose <laughs> of scheduling time. I'd suggest to people, challenge yourself, pick a time that's a bit less than you think you really need, okay? Why? It'll push you to try to get your emailing done within that window, create a little bit of stress. Not too much, but push you to pile, power through that email and not linger on it, okay? And uh, try it out. See how it works. Second thing I do, and I've only started doing this in the last couple of years, I categorize my email. I happen to use Outlook. You know, it's a Microsoft product. Different version, different email clients have different ways of assigning tags or categories. I... I you can put them in folders. I don't care what it is. The point is to put emails into buckets of some kind that are similar in some way so that when you go to respond to email, you can respond to all the messages in that bucket in a way that's maximally or optimally efficient for you. Okay, so that's why I'm, I'm being flexible. I do it usually by topic. It could be by who the emails are coming from or what project they're on. Because I'll tell you, this has also been studied, and I just know it from personal experience. If you're responding to emails chronologically in your inbox, it's going to be much less efficient than when you can respond to messages that are somehow similar. Why? Uh, if they're all in the same conversation, you may find you can respond to one of them and then delete or file away the other three because they've already been addressed. Is also your working memory 
memory. You know, when you're when you're thinking about a certain topic or project and you're responding to a bunch of messages about that topic or project, you don't have to you, you've got all the information you need fresh in your mind and you can plow through those emails efficiently. Just think about when you go from topic to topic, how how much time do you have to spend thinking what do I need to know? What document do I need to open to respond to this? And what if it only takes you 10 or 15 seconds? Multiply that by however many hundreds of emails you get in a day and it eats up a lot of time. So this is a way of batching together emails both in time and by category. If you want to make it a little bit more complicated, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make it too, you can put those into your appointments. I do it for major categories that I know I have to respond to every day. 9.30 to 10, respond to accounting, bookkeeping, financial related emails only. But what's going to work for you is going to vary, depend on what your, your day is like. I found a huge, huge boost in productivity and a reduction in stress level worrying about email by scheduling time like this. So a side benefit, I mean, it's a side benefit, but it's really a primary benefit, is that then during the other times of your day, which really I would think are the times you want to be spending doing your quote, real work, <laughs> you know, your the back of your mind, your, your subconscious mind isn't gonna be as focused on your messages because you know you've attended to them and you also know you've got a later time set aside for responding to them so now you can be more relaxed and you won't find your mind gravitating as much yeah, as otherwise that's, otherwise that's if huge. you have your email inbox open open constantly i mean you know right your your mind is just constantly turning to the messages how can you focus on anything that requires deep thought if that's the mode you're in right right well, that's already that's already useful information. Without going too far down the rabbit hole, because I know that yeah. that social media is just too big and hairy to tackle in in a in a podcast. What, give us maybe three things that people can do to optimize their use in a healthy way with social media. Yeah, and you know, with, when it comes to social media, I would. Uh, put that in a little bit of a different category. Uh, unless you're you're using social media professionally, uh, but let, let's let's start with uh, personally, where optimizing may not necessarily be about making the most productive use, but more about making the most healthy use. You know, uh, a lot of the problems with social media aren't that we we feel we're using it unproductively, although people, we may spend too much time, but that it can be really psychologically and personally unhealthy. You know, you might uh, encounter a lot of criticism, maybe directly of yourself, uh, you know, feedback from people who you know or don't. You know, look, even people you know might be harsher to you online than they would be in person. Uh, you know, so one, one thing uh, you can do is this is where some more formal mindfulness practice can be helpful, I think, is to pause before you use social media and just remind yourself of what you're gonna encounter when you go on there and remind yourself that whatever you see is really not about you. I wrote a blog post a little while ago with some affirmations, you know, that may be a little uh, too touchy-feely for some people, but they were things like, you know, I know my worth as a person 
is independent of what people say about me as social on social media. Uh, whatever form you put that in, if you can keep that at the forefront of your mind, uh, uh, it can be really helpful to insulate yourself against the harmful effects of social media, which, you know, no matter who you are, it, it can be, it can be really damaging or just hurtful to, to be on there. Everybody, everybody, everybody gets, gets triggered on social media and I don't care who you are. You could be the most, you could be the the most balanced, the most productive, the most like total dialed in self-help guru <laughs> Zen master. And still you're going to find something in five minutes on Twitter that yeah. makes you angry. And so this, this applies to everybody. Everybody can gain from this. So we've got, um, pausing before you jump into, before you open Facebook to remind yourself what you're going to encounter um, you've got the use of affirmation. Yeah, I would what say else? again, either whether you schedule a time in the calendar or set a timer, something else like that to remind you to set a limit to how much time you spend on there. I think it's very, very useful. Uh, I know the timers. Look, the timers to work. We have to be responsive to them. When that bell goes off, you've got to be ready to sign off of social media. Uh, let me give you some tips for sticking to things like reminders, whether it's about social media or email or anything else. One I found is to engage other people to support you in that, you know, uh, friends, family, colleagues, coworkers, let them know, Hey, I'm going on. Remind me at four o'clock. I've got a timer set, but you know, I don't trust myself to get off when the timer goes off. You know, can you, uh, can you remind me one thing I've done, you know, I've done a lot of things and I'm willing to make admissions that may, you know, <laughs> show some of my own weaknesses, if you will. Uh, I, I do a lot of things which you might call tricking my own mind, you know? I don't care if it works, it works. Uh, I will sometimes schedule appointments where other, I have to be present for other people at a time when I want to stop using email or something else. Hey, I'm going to start big, checking my email at 3.30. I've got a call scheduled with a client at 4. I know I won't have any choice but to stop at that point. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You know? That's great. I mean, that... That makes sense to me, you for know? sure. And I, when I mentioned that I know what the objections are, look, your, your listeners, if they're very high-performing people, in our culture, it's very common to have an attitude that of self-judgment or I feel like I should, you know, the should word comes out, I should be able to stop on my own without playing a trick on my mind like that. I should have stronger willpower. But, you know, again, it's not either or. You can work on practicing on increasing your willpower and you can take other practical steps like scheduling an appointment or engaging with help from other people. None of it means you're weak. It actually means you're being really practical and doing whatever you need to do to accomplish your own goals. Right. doesn't matter how you get there. Just the, just the fact that you get there. Yeah. Okay. How, how about text messages? Yeah. Text messages. Uh, this may sound crazy to people, but uh, uh, first, do not disturb is great in general. You can silence, basically do do not disturb selectively for certain text messaging threads. So if you happen to be on a certain thread, so on the side, for fun, I'm in a band. I'm in a rock band with a bunch of friends of mine. And they know this, so I'm not outing them. Uh, <laughs> 
There's a couple of them who love texting a lot on the band text message thread had open, you know, for a couple of years. And they know that a couple of years ago, I silenced that thread. <laughs> so what it means is for people who've never used that feature, I still get to see the messages. I can go in at any time and read them all. It's just that I'm not notified when a new one right. comes up. Okay. So I peek at it. If it goes up above 30 or 40, 40 messages at some point, you know, I take a peek at it. Uh, but uh, that's that's really a super big one. Uh, another big one, and this is not just about text messages, but about different types of messaging. You know, we mentioned before email versus Slack is to do what you can to use, be selective about what type of messaging you use for different types of messages. In the old days, by which I mean, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, not that long ago, people used a postal letter, believe it or not, for things that weren't urgent, that didn't need to get to someone quickly and didn't need a quick response. Uh, I remember the days when an email was something that people could respond to within a few days or even a week or two, and a phone call was something that meant urgent. What did that mean? It mean when you were the one sending the message, you thought about how urgent this was, and it meant on the receiving end, if the phone rang, you knew for 99% certainty that the person calling really needed to reach you. There was like a social contract around these types of messages on both sides. All of that has pretty much broken down. Uh, I've spoken to some people recently, even uh, professionals who've said, they just don't pick up phone calls anymore. <laughs> right. One, yeah. the, ro the robocalls have gotten so out of control, uh, yes. you know, and, the, and they've gotten so sophisticated. People, you know, will, will spoof uh, area codes from where you live and disguise their numbers. It's hard. So, so between the marketers being more sophisticated and just all of us using whatever type of messaging we think of at the moment and using things like te text messages, regardless of the urgency of the message, it's broken down that understanding. So I recommend this require, this is not something any person can necessarily do on their own, but you can start with your friends. You can start with your family to talk about this and say, Hey, you know what? I'd like to not have to respond to emails. I'd like not to have to check my emails more than a few times a day, but I'm worried that one of you might email me with an emergency. So can we agree between ourselves, if there's an emergency, you're going to contact me by phone or text message, whatever the method is. So we can start going back to not having to check every one of our 30 messaging systems that we're hooked into constantly out of the fear that we're going to miss out on something critical. Uh, but it requires some agreement. But, you know, that's why I say friends, family, teams at work, small groups of people who you're close with, you can start making these kinds of agreements. And man, it's amazing when you try, when you start doing it to see what a huge impact it has. Yes, massively, mass, massive. Okay, so we've got email, we've got social media, we've got text messages. Is there any other form of 
of of messaging that I think th th that professionals or you know sort of normal everyday people might be using or being you know smashed around by. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Trello. You think of Trello, Asana, Slack, all of these different. They go by different names. Some of them call themselves task management or their group uh, collaboration tools. You know, I, I joked about them earlier. I do think they're really great. I think they're really great. I, I understand the 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 the. Uh, they were created to address a lot of the drawbacks of things like email. One thing I like about those systems without promoting any one of them in particular is that when you set them up well and you've got good agreements amongst all the people working together, you have all of your messages, your appointments, your tasks, your documents together in one place. You know, that's one of the drawbacks. The telephone, I call someone, hey, you know, what'd you think of that document I sent you earlier? Which document? Where is it? How do I find it? Is it in an email somewhere? You know, it, it, it's. Why are you calling me <laughs> to look at a document you, you're at? <laughs> I can't yeah, stand that. exactly. Yeah. So, so I do think there's a place for these, for these systems. I think, uh, you know, they are designed, I think, to make it as easy as possible to kind of get up and running out of the box. I found, though, that a little bit of effort to set up your teams, set up your projects, and, you know, technology can't do everything for us, no matter how well you configure the tool. I do think, in addition, you need some agreement among the people using the tool about how they're going to use it. Uh, you don't have to yeah. have an ISO 9000 compliant, you know, procedure, <laughs> but some just basic rules of the road uh, when you're going to send someone a message, how, where you're going to store documents so that these things can actually give you the benefit that they're intended to have. But somebody always doesn't play by the rules. There's almost always two or everybody who decides, no, I don't want to. I'm just going to I'm just going to communicate the way that I need to communicate and so even if we've all made an agreement, there's going to be people that violate that agreement, which impinges on your productivity and the, the systems that you're using. You know, the other thing, too, that I've found is that, you know, there, there kind of has to be someone delegated to, like, enforce and yes. manage whatever platform yep. it is. You know, you should have somebody that is on top of Slack yes. management like inviting the right team members to the right groups, shielding them so they don't see other stuff that's going to distract them. Are you? You're nodding. Are you, it sounds like you're aligned yeah. with that. There needs to be. There needs to be somebody there. Absolutely. Right? In fact, at Technology for Mindfulness, it's a small organization, but we have different teams: two, three, four, five, six people. Uh, last year, I hired someone. I called her project manager. Whatever the job title is, she basically is managing Asana for us. You know, and I think it's easy to think that, oh, the technology itself is enough as a tool. But you really, I totally agree with you. That's why I'm nodding my head. You need somebody. It may not take a lot of time, you know, but even the small amount of time that, that it takes. We, she has defined templates for different types of tasks, particularly ones that involve multiple steps. Uh, uh, launching a pod, every podcast episode is an example. It's got a fixed set of steps. We record it, we post it, we edit it, we do A, B, C, D, and E. It's not rocket science, 
but it needs to be done that way. We needed to define it so that people don't have to remember what step three is every time. <laughs> and then there does need to be some gentle but firm nudging when someone sends an email about it. And we said, you know, the process is to post this in Asana or send a message or complete a task. And then she does other things like, oh, you know, stuff is going overdue. We don't want to only rely on each person to whom a task is assigned to remember that. We, all of these kinds of project management tasks, I think, I think it's, it's really important to still have a human being involved in those things. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about technology for mindfulness. Now that you've, now that you've given us like these beautiful little wisdom nuggets that we can follow, strategies that we can implement so that we can keep our keep our shit together. <laughs> uh, what, t tell us about technology for mindfulness. Yeah. So technology for mindfulness is an organization I started uh, about four years ago. It's a blog podcast and an online course, all targeted at helping people use technology more mindfully. As you can tell from the things we've talked about, it's very practical. Uh, we do talk about using tr some traditional mindfulness meditation practices, uh, but even then they tend to be uh, how can you use mindfulness in the course of your day uh, rather than necessarily doing traditional sitting meditation, not because I don't encourage that, but because there's plenty of other resources uh, if you want to uh, develop and maintain a, a, a mindfulness meditation practice. Uh, uh, so the blog has plenty of regular tips. It ranges from things like suggestions for apps, a lot of suggestions for how to configure your existing technology, like the things I mentioned earlier with Do Not Disturb or silencing uh, text message threads. Uh, the podcast is very much like yours. I interview experts from all walks of life. I mean, one thing that's very exciting to me about it is just the range of people that we've had. We have had neuroscientists. We've had traditional mindfulness meditation teachers. We've had educators. We've had uh, writers of all kinds, you know, parents who've written books about their experience raising kids in the digital age to psychologists and anthropologists, business authors. Uh, we've had uh, the CEO of Insight Timer, which is the most popular uh, one of the most popular meditation apps out there. And and one reason I, I do that intentionally is because I think uh, the, the problems and the challenges and the promise of technology touch on all of these different aspects of our lives. You know, I, I don't think there's any one angle from which to approach this. And I think to, to make progress, we're really going to have to look at this uh, theoretically and practically from, from all different perspectives. Uh, the course is ta called Tap Into Mindfulness. It's an online course that has a series of guided exercises that you can do with your smartphone in your hand to basically train yourself to develop new habits for using your smartphone intentionally rather than just reacting to it constantly in the way that we talked about. And I, I'd be glad to lead you and your listeners through one of these exercises in a really abbreviated form, if you'd like. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So take your smartphone and I want you to wake it up. Don't tap on anything yet. Okay. Just think of an app that 
sucks you in normally the most. Okay. And you want to make an admission to what that is Yeah, <laughs> for it's, you. It's Instagram. Okay, great. So for everyone listening, you pick whatever it is for you. So now you're going to hold your phone like you normally would. And then you find, scroll to that app if you need to. I mean, if it's the thing that sucks you in most, it's probably on your home screen already. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My, just, let me give one my, quick aside. Yeah. My thumb knows where, where Instagram is on my phone. <laughs> so just a quick aside. This is not part of the exercise. Another tip, move that app to screen number five and put it in a folder somewhere if you want to increase the friction between your your urge to tap it and the, and the actual ability to do it. But that's a separate pointer. For this exercise, slowly move your finger towards the icon, but then you're gonna stop your finger just before it touches the screen. And now, pay attention to what you are feeling. Okay, so we could start with what you're feeling in your body. And, and I'm Sean, I'm going to ask you to reveal to people, okay, what you're feeling in your body right now. Well, I'm, 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 I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling uh, anticipation. Okay. Gr physical sensations, chest, hand, head, skin, anything. My eyebrows go up like, oh, it's Instagram time. You know, I think, um, I'm going to be honest, like I might be, able, I might be salivating a little bit. Um, you know, I feel like maybe like the this the the hair on the back of my neck sort of stands up a little bit now that my thumb is hovering over it and not actually opening it. I feel a little anxious. This is great. This is great. You know, and this this uh, in the course I'll go into more detail. You can pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to your breath is a really good one. And very often people find when they draw their attention to their breath, they notice that they've stopped breathing or close to it. Their breath has become very shallow. You know, so when you do that, you can actually uh, now consciously let, let yourself breathe more deeply. Uh, so this is just a taste of this. Now you pull your finger away, put your phone back to sleep. So what's the, what's the purpose of this exercise? Uh, there's many. Uh, two of them I'll point out is one, just to be, practice becoming aware of what you're feeling and experiencing when you move towards that Instagram app. Why? Because many of us are often tap on that icon without awareness. It, oh, yeah. It's a ref it's become a reflex. Well, right? and, and even and, even taking this step further, like just putting your hand in your pocket to pull it out like somebody gets up from the table at dinner to go to use the bathroom. You just like, oh, there goes my hand. I'm not even doing it. And it goes into the pocket, like not, not even going into opening the phone, but like just that, like that gut, that knee jerk reaction of like, oh, I have to have my phone out. I, I can't simply sit here. That's impossible. I must have my phone. Sorry to cut you off, but it, I yeah, mean, that's it, great. This is for everybody too. If you're not like this, you're fooling yourself because everyone, <laughs> everyone that I know is like this now. Yeah. And so it's very interesting. You said it's impossible. I can't not move my hand. And people often use the, these kinds of words. They say the phone is pulling me or controlling me. So part of the purpose of the exercise is that when you pause, it can be easier to spend some time noticing the feeling that it's impossible to stop while then becoming aware that that feeling is actually a belief that may or may not be true. <laughs> but when you don't stop, 
the belief can feel so compelling that it just controls your actions. So when you were stopped with your finger over the phone, you may have felt like I can't not move, but you actually were able to not move. Uh, it wasn't nearly as hard maybe as you thought. You felt uncomfortable. You felt anxious. The hair went up on the back of your neck, but your mind was telling you, I have to tap when in fact you didn't have to, and in fact you didn't actually tap. You had the ability within you already to not tap. So you know, our, when you engage in this kind of practice, like if you do in, in a more formal mindfulness meditation, you learn to become aware of your own thoughts, see them, but not necessarily take them at face value. <laughs> Whereas if you're always racing through them from thought to action automatically, you can start to believe that that, that belief is absolutely and undeniably true and that you have no power to stop yourself from acting. And if you wanna you know, talk about optimal performance, right? If you're just acting instinctively, you're, what does that mean? You're never gonna change how you behave. But it, the first step to changing how you behave is to believe that you have the power to do it. And that's where the pausing, the pausing comes into play. The second part of it, which is really critical, I didn't talk about another aspect of my background, which is in martial arts training. I've, I've been studying martial arts since I was a kid, around since the same time as when I started uh, programming computers. And uh, one of the things that you do in martial arts training is to learn to pause when you're getting attacked, pause internally, pay attention to a punch or a kick or something else coming at you and stay grounded uh, and not necessarily react instinctively to your fight or flight uh, response, okay? You may still feel fear, but you can insert a little bit of pause where you can feel the fear and still make a choice about how to respond. And that's part of what motivated me or inspired me to develop these exercises. Uh, because you pause and then uh, uh, you, you're actually physically pausing. And this is like martial arts training too, where you practice, let's say, a block and you do it 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 times, right, to drill it in. You can practice that exercise we just did in a, in a, in a long, slow way, which is good, or in a fast way like rep training at the gym. Take out your phone, move your finger towards Instagram, pause, pull your finger away, put your phone down. Bring up your phone, put your finger towards the app, pause, pull it away. You can do that 20 times in a minute. What are you doing? Physically, you're drilling the movement of moving your finger towards the phone and pausing and pulling your finger away. Uh, you're, you're, you're developing a new physical habit. I did this for myself first before I launched the course. You mentioned reaching for your phone. That was my big one. Uh, I, I realized by paying attention to my own patterns that once I reached for the phone and pulled it out of my pocket or somewhere else, I was down the rabbit hole. So I practiced reaching for the phone and stopping my hand before it even touched the phone and then pulling my hand away. Reach, stop, pull away. Reach, stop, pull away. Reach, stop, pull away. And then I noticed Okay, it's three hours later, I'm working, I'm busy. I reach for the phone, my hand would stop because I had practiced it physically. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay? Right. So there's a mental aspect and a physical aspect of this, uh, which is that once you've paused physically, that gives you the opportunity 
to pause mentally and say, do I really want to use the phone right now? Whereas if you hadn't paused physically, it would be much harder to make that mental pause. And just like I've been, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, do sports and all kinds of other uh, intense physical activity, you know that the mental and the physical over time merge with each other, interact with each other, and that you have to practice both of them. But, you know, I, I launched this course, Tap Into Mindfulness, because I found that there wasn't anything else out there for developing mindful use of technology that had the physical aspect to it. Yeah, yeah. I think that for people who are listening, you know, you stumbled in, you found this podcast and you're listening and you're with it, to think that, that that's a thing, to think that 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 would work may may seem a little far-fetched for people it, it may seem either corny or superfluous what would you say to those people i would say look at how quickly the technology our phones have changed our behavior in just the last couple of years how long did it take after you got a smartphone before you developed this habit of reaching for it and tapping our brains and our bodies are really plastic why would it seem corny or far-fetched that we could take control over how to change our own behavior and how we use our phones <laughs> when we know that the tech technology companies have done it masterfully? <laughs> yeah, so there. Okay. How do people how, – how would someone know if their behavior or if they're abusing – do you think that most people know that they're doing it wrong? That, they're, that, they're, that it's not serving them? Yeah, you know, I think when it comes to something like uh, addiction, I don't know if this is the uh, psychologist's definition of it, but I've heard that it, you know, roughly something like when you engage in a behavior repetitively, despite the fact that you experience harm from it, Right. Okay. And the, the harm may not be physical. It may not be as extreme as something like alcohol addiction. But if you notice that your use of social media, just you engage in it repeatedly and you don't feel good about it in some way after the fact, that you experience regret or you have some unease about it, or you feel like, you know, I really wish I had spent some of that time doing something else that I didn't do and you keep experiencing that over and over and over again, you know, it starts to seem like it has those negative qualities in common with an addiction. And you can pay attention to that in yourself. The negative may be a wide variety of things. It may be something different for you than for another person. But if you're, if you're also feeling out of control in any way, yeah. that's another, another sign that you're probably, you know, maybe abuse is a too strong a word, but that maybe it's a sign that you're recognizing that you're using technology in a way that doesn't feel healthy to you, that you'd like to change. Yeah. Do you think that it could be an addiction? I think it can rise to the level of addiction. You know, I think, uh, again, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, you know, I would leave that to professionals, but I would say in general, if, if you find that it's interfering with your ability to live your life in some significant way, to get your work done, to maintain your relationships with your friends or family or, or 
maintain your 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 personal commitments or obligations or interfering with your health, you know, your sleep or ability to take breaks to eat and use the bathroom. I mean, I'm raising things that I know are common for people, maybe not at the level of addiction, but you know, those are all things that when people do them with food or alcohol or other substances, we would say they've passed the threshold from being enjoyable to being an addiction. And the same can be true, I think, for technology. Yeah, I, you know, as a as a performance coach and a life coach for high performers, I I think the first thing to go when you develop behaviors with technology that are not serving you, the first casualty is intimacy. Your intimate relationships with your lover, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Even intimate relationships with your children or your or your brothers or sisters or whoever your family is, that's the first thing to go because it is so detached from touch and eye contact and I see you, I'm here with you too. Like that that is that is the first thing to go when you are constantly like, Oh, there goes my hand again into my phone. There was a yeah. somebody didn't say something for four seconds and there goes my hand to my phone again. Yeah, um, and that's and that's a that's a tricky thing because uh, we need we need more intimacy. We need to we need to be more in touch. You know, and I I, I feel a lot of compassion. Uh, I'm just under fifty years old. You know, so I had a good substantial part of my life before this kind of technology was around. I have a baseline of human experience, you know, with friendships and intimate relationships and work relationships to draw on as a baseline of comparison for what does feel more healthy to me. So I feel a lot of compassion for younger people who, who have only grown up with this. And even if they may have the feeling that there's something wrong that doesn't feel right about it, they don't actually have the life experience of something different to draw on, to compare to. And I think it can be really dangerous uh, in that way. Uh, <laughs> there's my phone going off. <laughs> oh, Robert! <laughs> so Somebody I did, infiltrated I did on, do not disturb, but didn't turn off an alarm. I, so I made the admission at the beginning of this podcast that it's really complicated to silence everything. And so, <laughs> and so I did put on do not disturb, but I forgot that it wouldn't silence an alarm. <laughs> you know, and this is why I say to you earlier, I'm, I love making admissions about myself and how challenging it is for me <laughs> this is a this is a learning opportunity for all of us you know i never claim that i am perfect in any way or that i have it all figured out in fact i think the for me the being on this podcast being on my own podcast being on the blog is like sharing my own challenges in a lot of ways well this is this has really been an, an illuminating conversation and i and i i wanted to purposefully make it really actionable for people i want them to take away a lot of great information and really, I invite everybody to just take a look at, at your behavior, um, even just with your phone, certainly with other applications and, and how you use technology. But just like after listening to this, really think about uh, try the exercise. Hopefully you tried the exercise of hovering over your favorite app uh, because it's, I've never done that before. I've never, uh, I've never, it's the first time. Um, where can people get a hold of you? What's the base, best place to connect with you? And uh, where are you online? Yeah. The easiest 
place is to always go to technologyformindfulness.com. That's the hub of it all. That's where you'll find the blog. That's where you'll find podcast episodes. And you can find the Tap Into Mindfulness course there. All the updates are always there. We are on social media. We try to be judicious about it, you know. Uh, But but you can always get to us through technologyformindfulness.com. Excellent. I ask everyone to answer one question, which is just a fill in the blank. So if you would fill in the blank, everyone would benefit from knowing. From knowing that they already have the power within them to take control over how they use technology. If you could come away with one thing, it's just the belief that you've embodied in yourself that you have the power to do it. All the tips and tricks and everything else I give you I think are less important than being able to really develop and integrate that belief. And then changes in your behavior and attitude and performance will flow from it. Wonderful. Robert Plotkin, thank you very much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Oh, thanks, Sean. I've had a blast.